Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about. We talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm making my way into the morning. How's it's that? A, it's a very Monday Monday. Isn't it? Today. I don't know why, but it is. It is. And we are getting prepped, actually, because in 54 minutes, who's wow. counting, we're going to do our first live stream. So I'm I'm a little like, Hooray. ah, fingers crossed, this works. But the good news is I feel like there's an element of live streaming that is very much like Artistic. like live television. Like you kind of get what you get and like fingers yeah. crossed and we're all in it together. So that's what I'm hoping for. Take the leap. We'll take the leap. Do you, That's very funny you said that because last week I was participating in an online live streaming conference called Leap Into Live. Oh. So shout out to the Leap Into Live people because that was an amazing conference. So thank you for that uh, inspiration last week. That was very fun. Good. Sounds, very good. sounds like it was very helpful. It was very helpful. Very encouraging um, and very uh, inspirational for sure. Today, speaking of inspiration, yes, I'm going to pretend that was a segue. Um, we are talking about this wonderful book. Should we hold it up and make a thumbnail? Smile. <laughs> we are talking about Art and Faith, the Theology of Making by Makoto Fujimura, as promised, as teased for weeks now. Mm. Um, and I have sort of a meta question for you to start sure. us off. A meta question. A meta question. Because when I sit down to read books, I think specifically for this podcast and for, let's say, non-recreational purposes, right? Mm. When I'm reading for something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggle a little bit, mm. I have to say. When I read for myself, when I read for fiction, I get completely lost in a book. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I just like dive in. I mean, it's like one, I, I'm not a late night person and it's like 1 a.m. and I'm still reading. Like to me, it's like this wonderful escape. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when I am reading for conversation, mm -hmm. I, I'm a little too aware of what I'm doing. Uh -huh. I'm a little bit like, oh, okay, this is a part I could, I could talk about it. Oh, this is, okay, this is how I could talk about this part. And like I'm processing it almost prematurely. Yep, yep. And I can't, I mean, as someone- Makes sense. Like I feel like, you know, you, you, you live in books. <laughs> T teach me, master. How does, how do you, how do you do it? Cause I don't, I need, my technique needs work. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of failures along the way. How's is that, that what, is this practice? <laughs> but, you know, you're, you make me think of a little story by Frederick Beekner, who is a great writer. And I've certainly mined his books over the years for a lot of sermon illustrations and everything else. But he said, pastors, you know, as readers, this is a particularly dodgy circumstances because he said it's like pastors who are having conversations. Mm -hmm. When pastors are having conversations, it's not just that, you know, it's Ed having a nice dialogue with someone. It's Ed, the pastor is back here thinking about, well, there's Ed, the person having the conversation. Yeah. So it's like this double layer. And the challenge with reading uh, as it relates to research or preparing for something is that, and he, and actually he, our author for today mentions this in his book, it's the danger of usefulness. Mm -hmm. You're starting to look for useful stuff and you don't get that experience you talked about earlier of getting lost in the book. Right. 
Yeah. You're pulling things out of it. And then you're thinking, oh, you know, that could work for that sermon on November the 21st. <laughs> or that could work for that talk I have to give at uh -huh. such and such a place. And before you know it, you're kind of dissecting the book, which is different from reading it and yeah. relating to it and maybe enjoying it. I was going to say it kind of, it kind of does take a little bit of the enjoyment factor out of it. So I'm excited actually for, um, we're going to have some other book club options over the coming year. Yeah. And so I'm, I hope to get better at this because I really want to, and I really enjoy, you know, talking about a book after the fact, Yeah. you know, but yep. it's sort of one of those things of, and I think this is also ties really well into our conversation about making an art because mm -hmm. when it becomes for a purpose mm -hmm. or for a job or whatever, it you lose something there. Yeah. You know. You know, one of the ways I've tried to work against that and try to bring it back into the realm of enjoyment and that lo that good lost feeling you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I actually I read all these books with a pen. So I am constantly writing on them and underlining them. And actually that sometimes brings me back into the book in a deeper mm. level. So I feel like I'm more engaged. It's a real conversation going on. Yeah. And then the other thing I do is um, I, I still copy out long passages from books by hand. Really? Yeah. So I think there's something, I think that's actually good from a uh, sort of a neurological standpoint. It, it kind of embeds things in our memory a little bit better. For sure. But there's something about the writing process and the reading process that helps me to kind of bypass that utilitarian instinct. Okay. And maybe gets me back into the flow of the book. And then I will, sometimes then, after I've read a book, I'll go back and just read the underlined passages. Mm -hmm. Say, well, what was that about that that struck me at the time? You know, and what is it about this that I want to keep a little bit, so... I think I do need to try that, although it kind of gives me like grad school flashbacks yeah, yeah. a little bit. You might have some flashbacks, so be yeah. careful. <laughs> I got to work on that a little bit. <laughs> I'll work on that a little bit. So let's dive in um, to this because we were talking about this idea of uh, usefulness of purpose. And one of, I think, my favorite parts of this book is a, a section called The Dangers of Usefulness. Mm -hmm. And he sort of berates the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. as creating this culture where if it's not useful, it doesn't have value. Right. Yep. And it seems like his argument is that its, it's value is in it being useless mm. by modern standpoints. Mm -hmm. That, that mm -hmm. not having a purpose is kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful observation. Uh, he actually, fairly early on in the book, he makes this comment. Um, he, he describes the first wall of resistance uh, that the creative process runs up against is our contemporary Western cultural concept of usefulness. So mm -hmm. you're, he kicks it off there and, and starts it through. And... Um, I think that as I've looked at his art, which is so beautiful to look at, and there's a lot of it available online, which is, I mean, it's, you're getting it second, third hand, of course, but it's still, it's still helpful to look at it. To your point, Leslie, he is elevating uselessness mm -hmm. in a certain way. And his connection with that spiritually is that Jesus, in a sense, looks useless in, from the standpoint of the Roman Empire. He looks like he's a complete nobody. And then he spends his life hanging out with people who look like complete nobodies. So 
he's trying to draw a direct connection between how Jesus lived his life and how he makes his art. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really fascinating. And then, you know, he redeems his art uh, by putting it together. The broken pieces come together, which is what Jesus spent his life doing. I had a bit of a giggle because he talks about um, that there's this idea of, oh, here it is. Um, so Emily Dickinson with her use of dashes and hyphens that she uses a lot. Yes. Um, shout out. I actually want to celebrate my friend Matthew who gave me a book, which is all scanned images of the like pieces of paper that she used to write on. Oh. So like, each page is this coffee table, this huge coffee table book. Beautiful. And like each page has like one small little to scale oh. of her handwriting, Beautiful. which is, is super stunning. I digress. Um, <laughs> But he says he's argued that these unnecessary elements were her main identity and that what may be gratuitous, and he writes the air quote extra of our world. And I had a like a millennial giggle because the word extra has gotten this sort of new connotation in today's society of mm. somebody who's extra. And I self-identify as an extra person. <laughs> As someone who kind of like does give something probably more like, you know, uh, metaphorical glitter than it needs. Interesting. Which I... And that's how the word extra. Yeah. So like, like, you know, someone like goes above and beyond in kind of a superfluous way. Like, oh, you're so extra. Like my friend Julia calls me extra. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Because <laughs> that's the fun part, right? Yeah. Because you get the utilitarian of a thing and mm-hmm. then you're like you know what we're gonna make this beautiful right why for no purpose other than because you can because you can and it brings you joy yeah oh that's great extra i, I have to say i, <laughs> confess, the word I, of the day. <laughs> I, I missed that that important reference to extra in our culture so i'm glad to be your millennial educated. culture person here to help <laughs> thank you you're welcome you. <laughs> glad i could help well, one of the one of the themes. So the, I think there's a handful of themes that run through this book, right? But one of them is make the world more beautiful, mm-hmm. and I think that's you know, it's it, if I'm understanding this correctly, that's about bringing that extra. Yeah, right. It's it's adornment. It's beautification of the world, and uh, that's a really beautiful thought that runs right along the lines of what he quotes the. Uh, the English theologian and scholar N.T. Wright quite a bit in this book. And N.T. Wright has written a lot of books on the New Testament, New Testament interpretation. But I guess he's very fond of N.T. Wright's vision that one of the pathways to open up the world to more justice is by creating more beauty. Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting connection. So I don't think a conversation on making an art is really complete without talking about your art and our video viewers will see over his shoulder some wonderful art there's actually a whole section of art here in our roundtable media studios but you can't see it because of how we have to have the cameras for covid regulations (laughs) um but we have a whole thing here just to be inspired by and uh give give life to this space so with i mean we could make this an entire episode unto itself maybe we should um but forbid. how did how did what of this book connected with you as a as a maker of mm. art? Was there something in there that sort of affected your own experience of making? Uh, yes, I would say that's the case. I mean, I've really I've really enjoyed reading the book 
And um, I think one thing you said about it early on is that you really love the word making. I do love the word making. I really do. It's just enough different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So that you think of all the things that people make all the time. Yeah. Right. In our homes and at work and so on. And I really appreciated that word. I feel like art um, has pressure to it. Yes. Like you can do a thing and then it is only art when someone says it is art. Right. There was a very funny time in the well the Round Hill Community Art Studio. I kind of, I think I kind of irritated our friend Susie Simpson because I was like just kind of throwing paint on a piece of paper and I kept going, art! <laughs> like every five minutes. And she was kind of like, mm, Maybe. Not maybe really, not. but that's, you know. <laughs> like I need like that word has so much like heft yeah. and weight yeah and to me it's just the the act of making I think is a beautiful thing yes yeah I think that the word as soon as you use the word art somewhere back here there's a definition mm -hmm. right there's mm -hmm. a there's a way it's supposed to look and that, of course, is devastating to the artistic process because, right. right, the thing that he says here quite often is that the artistic process is intuitive. Mm -hmm. So if it's intuitive, it's not, it's by definition, it's not following a definition, right? It's exploring and it's making its way. And uh, I was reading a comment the other day about the graphic designer, David Carson. This person was saying he has, uh, he simply brings materials to the process, and then he decides intuitively about how they should go together. Hmm. So that just happens in the moment. Now, it's not to say that the thousand things that he's done before that don't shape that decision, because they do. Right. Or looking at a lot of great, so-called great artists over time, that shapes our decisions. But in the, in the moment, it's still us making. And I think it's kind of a liberating word, because a lot of people would think to themselves, well, I'm definitely not an artist, but yes, I make things. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to democratize the word a little bit, which I think is a really helpful thing to do. Yeah. And that's, I think, what I feel the word make is because it's anyone can make anything. Yes. You know, um, there's a great YouTube channel um, called Evan and Caitlin, hmm. which is run by, shockingly, Evan and Caitlin. And they uh, <laughs> they have some great merch. And there's one that just says make, fail, make, fail. Fail, make. Oh, that's great. And it's like that's and I actually I have my phone out because I wanted to share with you this hilarious um version of the artistic process of the creative process, which is one, this is awesome. Two, this is tricky. Three, this is terrible. Four, I am terrible. Five, oh, yes. This might be okay. Six, this is awesome. It comes back around. It comes it? it's cyclical. It really <laughs> is. And I connect with that because every time, you know, you get you literally hit a point sometimes in making where you're like, what? Right. Absolutely. What have I spent the past three hours of my time with? And you just gotta get through it. You do. And you know, one of the things that has been really pleasurable over the years is I like to drive a piece to disaster. Oh, I like that. Push it all the way to disaster. You mm -hmm. look at this and think, cannot be redeemed. <laughs> No way is that coming back to life. And you know, it's funny. At that point, it's like the mind likes to work in that zone. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, wait a second. You told me it can't be redeemed? Step out of the hey. way. And there's then one color that's added or one image that's added. And before you know it, you think, wait a second, there's something breathing there. Mm -hmm. And it it may still not work in the end, but it's not the disaster that it was. Yeah. 
And then there's always something to be learned from that that can be brought back into the next piece, mm-hmm. right? Whatever that might be. And I one comment that he made here that I I think is going to be con- going to continue to be helpful to me. He likes to quote a lot of other poets in the book and artists, and one of them is Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry is a farmer and a poet, lives on the land in Kentucky. He's been an amazing writer for many, many years, but he actually makes by working the land. And um, he said, uh, Wendell Berry has been noted to have said that when he approaches a land, he does not ask, what can I take from the land? But instead asks the land, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And some artists approach their materials, the paints, the charcoal, whatever they're working with, and ask the question, what do you need? Mm-hmm. So it's a dialogue with the materials. And as long as you're trusting the materials and your own intuition, that's really all you need to start. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, that is a very difficult journey, and especially yeah. if you've worked in one kind of art for a long time and in one pattern or process, then stepping out like that will feel like just a complete disaster from the start. Yeah. Um, but it's only by, as you said, you keep working on it, keep pushing through. There's something very freeing about that. Mm, I was thinking just be. this morning about um, the sort of fear, what I've heard called the fear of the white page mm. for authors or creatives or whatever, that you have this blank uh, canvas or blank piece of paper and that you have to get over the fear of like ruining it. Yes. You know, I was talking to my friend today and she was saying that she has this new uh, calligraphy book for practicing calligraphy. And she's like, I don't. I don't want to do it because I don't want to mess it up with the book. <laughs> I know those pages look so nice. And I know, I know that de- I, this the pile of notebooks I have <laughs> in my home. I of, can only imagine like, beautiful notebooks. For literally, the only purpose I have them is just for taking notes. But they're so pretty. <laughs> don't mess them up. And I don't want to mess them up, which is ridiculous because <laughs> that is literally their entire point. You know what you'd have to do is get a little paint out there and just splash it down. Just splash and it that down. That will get you over that particular yes. hurdle. Well, I find the <laughs> common denominator in my in my world of books is uh, coffee stains. Oh yes. You know, you know, you really love something when there's just a big coffee stain on it. So here's a, here's maybe a connection between coffee stains and our artist friend. Oh, here we go. I don't even know how I came across this across this, but you know, there's just a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet, but there's a lot of really cool stuff. There is. It's it's worth looking. It's you know? true. I found a, a video, can't be more than five or seven minutes long, about an artist. I think he's from, maybe from Hungary, but I think he lives in this country. And it just, it's so simple. It shows him walking to his lo- local coffee shop. It shows him sitting down with a blank notebook. Take note. Okay. He has a cup of tea over here. He, he makes sure that he, Keeps that tea bag in that hot water uh-huh. a long time. Okay. And then he takes the tea bag and he plunks it onto the blank page. Oh, nice. And then he moves it around. Oh, fun. And when he's done, he gets all of these little interesting images and shapes that he couldn't have created if he tried to. Right. But they're there because he just sort of drops the tea bag down. He then takes a brush. Brings a brush with him. This must look very interesting. In coffee say, shop. Like the other Why people. is that man over there putting a brush into his tea? Playing with his tea. Not good. So right? might back away. And of course, the tea water is actually, it may look really brown, but when you put it on the page, it gets really light. Yeah, so it's sort of sepia. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so then he just gently moves this brush around. 
just takes his time. And so then it shows him walking back home after he's done this. He goes into his apartment. He has sketchbook after sketchbook filled with images that he has created just from tea bags. Oh my gosh. It's brilliant. I love that. It is totally, and it's the sweetest thing. He walks very slowly. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, as he goes to the shop very slowly, as he goes back home, he's very deliberate in all of his actions. But in his apartment, sort of beautifully arrayed with all these books. And I thought, this is a man who's just, he's a maker. Yeah. And I guess just to continue on that vein, I came across another interesting YouTube video the other day. It's a magical this, place. And I wish I could remember this man's name. He's 100 years old, an artist from Australia. Wow. He's been painting since he was in the Second World War, where he did artwork instead of playing cards like all of his buddies did. <laughs> right, <laughs> He right. thought, what a waste of time is that? So he started artwork, went to the National School of Art. But in his description of himself, when the interviewer said, what do you do? He said, I make marks. Hmm. said, that's my life. I make marks. I like it. So even if, even if uh, he's painted something that looks like a beautiful landscape or a portrait, he would still say, I'm making marks. And I, I think, think to your point, that is much less heavy than saying, I think I'm going to make a portrait now. Because then right. suddenly your mind is thinking, oh, it's I'm not going to get that cheek right or I'm not going to get that hair right. And he's not worried about that. Yeah. He's only concerned about making marks mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Yeah. I mean, that's something that human beings have been doing for a long, long time, yeah. right? We know that going back into the caves, right, in France and all around the world of People have been making beautiful marks for all that time. There's something about making an impact on your world, isn't there? Yes. Oh, exactly. Making where there wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, no conversation about making is complete without celebrating the work of Adam Savage, who you might know from Mythbusters. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, the redhead guy from Mythbusters, <laughs> Mythbusters has become, he's had this whole sort of second career encouraging making. And you see he does some um, some YouTube videos where he does like one day makes and one day builds and all these things. And he has this spirit about him that I think you would very much like where he's kind of, he has that beginner joy, oh, even though nice. he's been doing it his whole career. I mean, he worked at ILM, he's worked on Star Wars, he's done these huge television shows. Yep. And every time you see him, and the, my favorite thing is they keep it in when he messes up. Oh, that's great. I Every love that. single thing they keep in. Yeah, don't edit out the... And he goes the, and he's like, well, here's a stupid thing I did. <laughs> Let's see what he makes of it. And then you see what he makes of it or you see how he fixes it or I you see it. if he has to start all over again. And it's so like pure and true to the making spirit of like, you're never going to keep your first version of a, of a build. Right. You know, that you expect, like, you know, we see these things and we, exp- we have these ex- unrealistic expectations of making. And it's like, no, that's version 15 of something, yeah. you know, or whatever. And I just, I love, I love that they keep in the air quote errors because it's just, to me, that's part of the process. Yeah. You know, like that project, I always say like a project will take as long as the project needs to take. Yep. Which includes all the mess ups and all the things, because that is the process of, whatever the thing is and needs to be, 
I try not to put a time limit on it because then I just blast through it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) It's never going to, (laughs) no. Well, that kind of gives me chills, that comment. You know, I think that it's such a, that is such a transformative thought that leave, leave the mistakes in, see what happens with them. Mm -hmm. Keep making a new beginning. I'm, I'm thinking about that song by the lyric from Leonard Cohen, where he says, ring the bell that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. Mm. That's how the light gets in. Oh, I like that. And I think this is, uh, you know, our artist friend whose book we're reading, we, that's really all about his art. I mean, he has created this method for making art and letting the light get in the cracks. I think that's the perfect thought to leave us on today. Thank you everyone for joining us for Roundhill Radio. I'm sure this won't be our last conversation about making. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Thank you all so much. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. We'll see you back here next week. Blessings. Blessings.